Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Hello and welcome to season four, episode 32 of the Undermine podcast by Osiris Media. I'm Tom Marshall, and I will be your host as we revisit, relive, re-listen, and maybe even redefine Fish's fabled Fall 97 tour. That's the now legendary tour where, according to the band's marketing materials at the time, their hands were faster than guns. And with those hands, they destroyed America and or more than one GPA, as Fish's audience appeared to be heavily collegiate at the time. They grow up so fast, don't they, Benji? They um, do. <laughs> <laughs> in a stunning coincidence, one of the Fish fans who missed college classes and deadlines to attend some of these Fall 97 shows is today's co-host, New York Times bestselling author, Benji Eisen. Hi, Benji. Hi, Tom. Uh, <laughs> that's all true. All of the above. Um, Today, we are actually back at the Hampton Coliseum for the second night in a row, um, which means maybe you went to the Holiday Inn afterwards and did the Hooters or whatever it was you did for your after show. You know, this was Fish's first two-night stand at the venue. And for many, myself included, that meant the first time that we were at Hampton at all. You know, because it's it's a long drive from Fish's density centers in the Northeast, right? And it, it's just just far enough from the band's southern fan belt to make it uh, a little bit too inconvenient to travel to for just one night. But you make a weekend out of it, and then you have a total fish tour takeover of like the surrounding areas. We kind of descend all around the venue. There's Everything's in walking distance. you know. So we will uh, definitely be discussing some of that type of fairy dust and, of course, the 11-22-97 show itself today, 25, <laughs> years, 25 years later to the day. Nice. But um, but first, to quote myself from yesterday, to quote Elvis Presley, 
who performed five sold-out shows at the Hampton Coliseum, let us TCB, which means taking care of business. So here it goes. Seatbelts on. If you're enjoying what we're doing on the show, then please consider supporting our new Osiris premium offering, which you can join for just a few bucks a month. You will get bonus episodes of HF Pod and Undermine, ad-free episodes, access to the full archival under the Scales catalog, discounts on Osiris merch, meet and greets, AMAs, the opportunity to guest on our shows. How do you think I'm here? Um, <laughs> check out, out osirispod.com backslash premium or just click on the link in the show notes. Um, one more thing, uh, like Jonathan Fishman actually says at the end of The Godfather, one more thing. Is that true? <laughs> All of us have so many great memories of these Fall 97 shows. You know, many of uh, of my friends reached out to me to kind of just relive some of these moments. And, and many of you have reached out, excuse me, have reached out to all of us wanting to share. And we want you to. So here's how you can do that and what might be in it for you. So first, take a video of you talking about any of these shows, maybe a favorite memory, maybe a favorite jam, whatever you want to share in one minute or less. Uh, post it on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, if you tag Osiris Pod, and you have to tag Osiris Pod, well, then we will choose a contributor at random who will win, drumroll please, a uh, handwritten copy of the lyrics to Ghost from our friend Tom Marshall. And uh, just so you guys know, I already told him that no, he isn't allowed to use disappearing ink. Fool me once, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd also, you'd also, as you guys might guess, you, you'd, you'd violated the one minute uh, length clause on your entry. Yes, that's very true. So, you know, these announcements were fun and uh, over the one minute mark. So now let's get to the real work. Uh, right. Let's take a trip back to 11-22-97, Hampton Coliseum. I literally thought you'd never ask, Benji. Um, <laughs> our guest today gives us the skinny every time Fish performs, and he's provided many of us with Friday afternoon water cooler talk on Twitter via his weekly hashtag YemBlog convo threads. And you know him as the editor at, Jamba, at Jambase, and we know him as a longtime friend of the pod, Scott Bernstein. Let's see if he appears from the waiting room. There he is. Hello. Hey, Scott, and welcome, and thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. Um, <laughs> uh, before talking about this show, uh, let, might as well step back and look at the venue itself, right? Because we we talked a little bit about it yesterday, as our guest Craig Hillwig mentioned, that by the mid-90s, when Fish started playing the room, it had already attained legendary status because of the Grateful Dead. Was this your first time at the Mothership? And what made you want to head on down for this weekend? This was my first time, and I don't come from the Grateful Dead school. Um, I got into Fish before I got into the music of the Grateful Dead. So Hampton didn't really stick out to me. And it was only a couple of weeks before the show when a group of friends that I had recently met and, and be, become friendly with just kept on telling me about how special of, of a room Hampton Coliseum was and that I, I, I couldn't really call myself a, 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 a real fish fan unless I made it down to the Hampton Coliseum. <laughs> and they, they talked me into it. 
and I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I, I took a trip with about 14 other Skidmore students. We all fit piled into this huge 1986 conversion van named George. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an adventure from the first minute through the last minute through through arriving back in the snow on Sunday morning after the show. Um, and it it really lived up to all of the hype and the expectations that my friends had, had told me about. Um, uh, uh, my favorite part is that it's a general admission arena. There aren't many of those. And the fact that we could all sit together and we were all in the same space and dancing together and grooving together was just something I hadn't really experienced before um, at, in an arena at an indoor show. Except on so, your ride, ride down. Yes, <laughs> it, yeah. it, exactly. Uh, Scotty, and the other thing too, I mean, now there's GA floors, but at the time the floors were not GA. Uh, it was very rare. So Henry you're right. That was a very, that was a big selling point to me. And like yourself, you know, I didn't know about the venue before this week. I mean, I knew about it before this weekend, but I didn't, I didn't know the magic of it or I didn't hold the appeal until I got there. You know, Tom just referred to it in the same way that we all have have come to refer to it, which is the mothership, you know, and indeed, as soon as someone says that, we know what they're talking about. It wasn't always that way. You know, Fish played Hampton for one night on the previous two fall tours, 95 and 96. The, the November 25th, 1995 debut there is worth a listen as it deservedly bleeds into, of course, one of the most revered Fish months of all time, which is December 95. And it contained an instrument rotation jam, a, a half-speed poor heart. Then the 96 show, another one-off uh, around, you know, the, the the late fall, it wasn't wasn't particularly memorable. Then along comes fall 97, and I feel like for Fish fans, it just put Hampton on the, on the map, you know, on the Fish map. Is this, in your mind, is this kind of the weekend when Hampton became the mothership? Without a doubt. I mean... I Anyone, uh, I just, I remember the vibe of leaving both shows and it just increased after each night. And just as we were on our way back, just having our asses had just proverbially handed to us. Um, we were talking about how I, it was among, at the time, the best shows I had ever seen. And, and it still remains that way 25 years later. Um, they did it again the following year. There was another very special run in, in, in 98, uh, which are, which Tom played a, a big role in. And um, 99 had its moments. And of course, uh, Fish come twice, picked Hampton for their comeback, um, along with Madison Square Garden, 2003 to 2002, 2003, and then for the three-night run in, in 2009. But um, I, I left really realizing what an amazing place it was and, and that it truly was the mothership after that two-night run. Well, you mentioned 98, and, and definitely, um, you know, it's probably my favorite for that reason i also am not was never really that big a tape trader and so when uh, a show gets an official release treatment and at the time became cds that's when i would like take notice uh, often unless someone you know uh had insisted that i listen to a show and and you know that that would happen too for certain shows but um 
the this one uh well the 98 one became the uh hampton comes alive of course um and it was uh the first release to contain the complete performance and uh it contained right. it, it contained both of them actually and that was released in 1999 then they released the 97 run after that bundled with tomorrow's show uh from winston salem so three two hamptons and a winston salem in a box set in 2011 where do you place fall 97 in these hampton appearances for me it, it's it's the top um and i, I mean i love bust outs i love gags i love fun <laughs> covers but the improvisation is number one and there's so many incredible jams everywhere you look in the 97 run that 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 puts it at the top for me well, you know, Scotty, talking of that, at, at what point during this show, and this is a question, by the way, that I could literally only ask you. Nobody <laughs> at, at what point during this show does a desk suddenly deserve to be flipped over in appreciation? I will tell you the, the first and probably most significant occurrence would be towards the end of, of Weekapah, Fish just cuts out. And this was a, a really cool thing that they did a number of times in 97 and 98, where they just started, stopped. And then Trey comes back in with this roaring solo and builds this huge peak. And the desk would have been flying as Trey is just letting it rip towards the end of Weekabah. Ladies and gentlemen, um, it should be known that um, our guest today, Scotty B, holds the patent and the trademark for desk flipping. That whole <laughs> meme uh, he invented. And uh, don't tell me yeah. otherwise if it's not true, what I just said. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, set one, right? Uh, opens with Mike's song, closes with Isabella. But there's a whole dance party in between. Uh, can you walk us through it a little bit, Scott? It was like a dream sequence. I mean, they hadn't opened with Mike uh, Mike's on, on U.S. soil since 1990. I mean, I couldn't believe my ears when that riff came out of Trey's guitar. And, and what a Mike's it was. Um, you know, so much funk within and black-eyed Katie teases would uh, foreshadow what was to come. Um, and Mike's just kind of fades into I Am Hydrogen in a way that not many have. I mean, there wasn't the typical cascade of notes or the composed section. And uh, Trey really put his whammy pedal to good use during that I Am Hydrogen. It's really underrated part of, of the show. 
I told you about the week of Pa, and there was a, a huge funk jam. Uh, you'll hear that repeated a lot as as we go through this, and then the start stop that led into the to the to the peak. Um, I also highly recommend listening to Page's work on Clav as the week of Pa gets gets heated up. Um, that that's a really great moment there, and um, and and then the fish, you know. After this incredible, mind-blowing start, comes ha Harry Hood, and again, uh, this is a second set. I mean, this 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 set list could be any this first set set list could be any second set, and you'd right. be so surprised to find out it, it was a first set, and. Every, everything was really well played. Um, Harry's had a had a, a beautiful peak, as usual. Um, and then Fish took a breather with with Train Song and, and Billy Breathes. Both were played really well, and I certainly, after dancing my butt off for so long, appreciated the break. And then a interesting pairing of covers to to end the set with Frankenstein and and Isabella, and it was my first Isabella, and I thought the roof was going to come off toward towards the end as Trey is just shredding. I mean, and every song just seemed to be played with extra mustard, which was a trend that that we saw real pretty much off all, and especially the the night before. I like that you say extra mustard, uh, one, because that's a, a fun phrase, but also <laughs> just because it, it is true. You know, we've talked before getting to Fall 97, we've talked about these 25 shows leading up to it. And one thing that all that they all have in common, there are some times when you know within the first 30 seconds of a show that you're in for it. Just it's it's hard to define, but extra mustard. You know, they come out and Trey just has it and they're all they're all synced up. And it starts off uh, like that. And, and I agree. I do think this first set was like that. The Harry Hood, uh, I hate to say Harry Hood's underrated, but I think this could be underrated and it's rated pretty high to begin with. Um, Scotty, I love talking fish with you. Uh, before we can get to set two, we're going to take a quick set break. So um, we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Please take your seats. Intermission is over. I'm here with my co-host Benji Eisen and our guest Scott Bernstein as we're discussing Hampton, November 22, 97. But you already know all of that. So if you don't mind, we're going to ask Scotty some more questions. 
Scott, set two opens with a Halley's Comet, and we always wanted to jam. It seldom does, but when it does, it doesn't disappoint. And here they jam it for 24 minutes, which made it the world's longest Haley's at the time. And to this day, it's only beat by one uh, version, a 28-minute version in Portland, Maine. Uh, what's going on here that the song lasts for so long? I mean, first of all, we've got to mention that the fans started the, at set break or, or right after the intermission, started chanting the lyrics to Destiny Unbound <laughs> in an attempt to get Fish to bust out this song that they hadn't played since 1991. And it epically failed. Um, <laughs> Trey had some great banter where he's like, what are you, are you is this a cannibalistic chant? What are you guys saying? And I think that played a, a part in the magical Haley's that 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 came out. And it's one of my favorite fish jams of all time. It's a masterclass in improvisation. Um, Trey tells Mike to stay on F as the jam gets started. And it's similar to what I was talking about with how Mike's went into hydrogen in that they skipped the whole structured part of the transition and just start vamping on this beautiful groove. And it's feels like there's like, a, they went in a dozen different directions over the course of those 24 minutes and all filled with, with hose. And, you know, Fish a few years earlier was all about the speed and precision. And this was a more minimalist affair. Um, the, Fish didn't change the beat that he was playing for pretty much the whole first half of the jam, which made it really impactful when he did pick it up just a little bit and his bandmates followed along. Um, you know, Mike, Trey and, and Paige really, every time they'd zig, the other ones would, would zag. And it was really one of the, the greatest improvisations in, in, in fish history. And um, one of my favorite sections is around the 19 minute mark when it seems like Haley's has faded out and is just over. And there's this ambient jamming that starts that's so delicate and beautiful. And there's still like five or six more minutes of this that we get before Haley's ended. And um, it, it really is, again, one of my all-time favorite fish jams, and I can't say enough about how special it, it was. And, and I, I love listening back to it and, and do it on the anniversary every year.
and you know that's awesome and also what what i think is so one of the many things about this jam that's so great is as soon as it ends of course uh, it goes right into tweezer and anytime you know tweezer starts up it doesn't matter where it is in the set it's like you know sometimes if they stack it after a jam like this you're kind of like you, you guys are killing me <laughs> but uh but so we have to talk about this tweezer otherwise i'm sure that the fall 97 police will arrest us all um <laughs> so scotty pretend that nobody listening has heard this tweezer the dozen plus times that i'm sure they have uh walk us through it a little bit you know trey's rhythmic work is so underrated he gets all the accolades for his soloing and his lead work but on this tweezer it's he just it gets in locked the four of them get locked into this groove where he plays this rhythmic pattern over and over again this is not your typical tweezer there's no crazy peak it's just a majestic groove for nearly 10 minutes that they're all locked into and it it, it really um is so signature fall 97 I love that uh, term. And Trey, you know, uh, I, I think we brought this up a few tra- times. Trey doesn't love the the term cow funk, and he would prefer us to say a groove. And this song in particular is the groove. You called it a, a majestic groove. And then, which which goes nicely into Black Eyed Katie, uh, the third one ever. Uh, had you heard it before this night or was it new? This was completely new for me, um, and I hadn't even heard a, a recording of it. So, um, I, so I certainly had a feeling of what it was from the descriptions that I had heard. And it, it was, you know, all 97 encapsulated in a song, which is pretty damn cool in itself. And what surprised me is the crazy, impactful peak that they hit out of uh, that they built uh, Black Eyed Katie into. I certainly didn't know that part existed. Mm -hmm. And whereas, you know, we talked about how Tweezer and Haley's and Mike's weren't about the peaks. They were more about the majestic grooves. This was certainly all about the peak for, for Black Eyed Katie. You know, we love to talk about how Fall 97 was the year of the, I, I was going to say the year of the telephone, but we'll say the year of the groove. Right? <laughs> yes. um, so that description, though, of telephone, uh, d- despite what, it, <laughs> despite Trey's feelings about it, the, the description alone, telephone, is about as famous as the Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor that was created using milk from those telephone cows. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> 
So you place it in a time capsule and you open it 25 years later uh, to the day. Does this show do the fall 97 toward justice when you take it by itself? You know, in other words, you you said a moment ago that Black Eyed Katie was kind of, the, you know, the encapsulated, and I agree with you 100%. What about this show? Can you say that this show is indicative of the tour? Without a doubt. It's one of the highlights of the tour. It kept the, the trend of the cow funk slash majestic grooves going throughout. Um, it solidified, as we said, Hampton as a peak fish venue um, and was it, it, it encapsulated so much of what made Fall 97 so special throughout every part of the night. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, so this is one of those runs, you know, a two night run where you walk out of the venue after the first night, high fiving your pals and wondering if there's any way they could top it. And it feels kind of like the second night might have. And uh, what do you think about that? I used to be I used to lean towards night one, probably because it was the night I popped my fish Hampton cherry. <laughs> um but as the years have gone on and I've fallen in love more with the, the Haley's and just, as I said, the extra muster that that's in every song they played on that second night, it makes it stand out just that much. But the beauty of it is we got both nights. We got to enjoy both nights. And I'm glad I don't have a gun to my head as I'm choosing between these right. two, because it's a tough, tough choice. There, there's something to be said for, for each of them. As, as um, I think we did with your other uh, jam bass uh, pal who came on, I asked a current question. I'm wondering as editor of jam bass, um, what bands you're seeing come across your table uh, you know, what's the interesting water cooler talk at Jambase these days? And I'm sure Andy probably answered with the same thing, but it's King Gizzard and the he Lizard did. Wizard. I mean, <laughs> any band that can put out three albums that are so different and each monumental in their own way in the same month is just something to behold. And I haven't had a chance to see them live yet, but everyone who has just raves about them. And that is the talk for sure of, of jam bass right now. I wanted to see if you guys were consistent and there was no preparation for that question I can attest to. And uh, you both answered it exactly <laughs> the same way, which is awesome. So two, two shout outs on, on, on these episodes to to King Gizzard. So what which for for people breaking their King Giz uh cherry, which out because they have five thousand two hundred and fifty three albums, <laughs> which uh which albums again and their albums are very different too, which I which I like about them, but which one do, would you recommend that people get their feet with uh, wet with? Um the the changes that that just came out is incredible and shows where they're at right now and i think is a, is a fine place to start thank you so much we went a little uh sorry we went a little current <laughs> um but uh back to uh well actually i think this show has now gone on for longer than the longest haley's comet so it's probably going to do it for us um today thank you scotty b and my co-host benji eisen and also to rjb another b uh because you never know he might be listening Hi, RJ. Um, thanks to all of you listening and to the Osiris team, especially Eric Limarenko and Matt Dwyer for making all of this work from behind the scenes. And before you start streaming 
November 23rd in preparation for tomorrow. Let me give a quick shout out to the cash or trade guys and 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 women. Um, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. If you need tickets for something you want to go to or have tickets for something you can't, then go right now to cashortrade.org. Please remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen and watch. And whatever you do, take care of your self and blaze on. And thanks again, Scott. And thank you, Benji. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Osiris. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Chris Pandolfi inviting you to check out the new season of my podcast, Inside the Musician's Brain, with new episodes airing now. Hearing it in that room, these guys playing this thing and trying to figure out how to play this song was mind-blowing. It's so inspiring to know there's so much more to it than you ever thought, and it just opened another door. But when people find faith because they need to, in terms of just filling a void to feel better without actually being better, that's when it becomes... A crutch, much like you know, drugs and alcohol do. Man, I don't have all the time in the world here. If I want to be a professional bluegrass musician, I felt like I had to take a very like strategic approach, just trying to get rid of the barriers and, and figure out what those barriers were. The feelings still come, and I have to reckon with that, but I think I have better ways of moving forward and not being stuck, which I think was the killer for me. Catch all that and so much more on the new season of Inside the Musician's Brain.